Welcome to the Renaissance Christian Church Podcast. We're a church family with the mission of seeking God, serving others, and sharing the gospel. We're grateful that you have joined us as we study through the Bible, and we hope that it brings you encouragement and inspiration for your daily life. Here's Pastor John Bandman. Great that you could join us online. Sorry for our little bit of hiccup this morning. We're blaming it on YouTube. We think their server is having problems. But uh, we're so glad that you can be here and join us. Uh, this morning, we're going to talk about a life greater than fear. How, much, how your life is so much greater than your fears. I um, want to talk about two words I think that are critical for understanding the message this morning. The first word is paradigm. Paradigm has the meaning of your normal, how you view the world, what is your set of assumptions, your frame of reference, the way you look at things, how you evaluate information. That's your paradigm. The easiest way to describe paradigm is your normal. What is your normal? Okay. The other word is paradox. And paradox takes your paradigm and it turns it completely upside down. It turns it inside out. Based on your frame of reference and what's normal for you, a paradox seems like a contradiction. Like, how can that be? It's just completely wrong way out. And Christianity actually, in its essence, is a paradox. Because we live in a fallen, broken world, and because our own hearts and minds have been broken and distorted by sin, what is normal to us is not normal to heaven. And so when Christ comes in the world, he is such a revolutionary, he changes our normal. He takes our paradigm and turns it inside out and what what really is upside down in our fallen and brokenness, Jesus turns right side up. But from our frame of reference, it seems confusing and contradictory. It's a paradox. So to understand those two words, I think will really help you understand what the Lord has for us today to talk about how we can live life abundantly and not in fear, not stressed out, not in anxiety. And I, and I wanted to talk about this because we are in a time uh, which I believe the Bible calls the Great Tribulation, where there is a lot of tribulation. I believe every generation has had some form of this Great Tribulation since the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. And until his return, we are in this period of time that the Bible calls the latter days. And it's a stressful time. Jesus said, you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. You will have tribulation in this world, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. So I want to look this morning at how that plays out, how that works out for us. A couple examples of paradigm and how paradox can turn that paradigm inside out. Um, Donna and I, my wife and I, had a friend who uh, had decided to adopt two young children, a brother and a sister, from Romania. So she adopted these two very young children from a, an orphanage in Romania and she got them home and she started introducing them to what, what life is like in the US, which 
you can imagine the, the, the kind of paradigm shift it was from being in a, in a um, orphanage in Romania to coming to Southern California. Um, and things were going pretty well, uh, but she started to notice that there were this strange pungent odors in their bedroom and she couldn't figure out what was going on. It was actually becoming really like, like something was decaying and going rotten. And so she's looking through the room and she would find little bits of leftovers from the meals that they had hidden in different spots in the bedroom. And she just, what is this about? Why are they doing that? And it finally dawned on her, she realized that in this poor country, Romania is one of the poorer countries of Europe, in this um, place where the children, children were in this orphanage, the next meal was not a certain thing. When they, when they got a meal, they didn't know that they were gonna have a, a meal in four hours or eight hours or 12 hours. So they would always eat some and then hide some in their pockets and then go hide that extra food in their room. So in case there wasn't a, a meal forthcoming, they'd have extra food, which is heartbreaking to think about but it really demonstrates the paradigm that they were in. The normal for them was, you know, my, my next meal is not a certain thing. And even as much as she would say, hey, look, here's a refrigerator, it's full of food, you can come and get food anytime you want, it took a period of time, there was a process of change for them, for them to shift their paradigm, their normal from uh, you know, uncertain food supply to the steady, consistent food supply that was all, always there. And that, that's always a process for us as we make those kinds of shifts. Another example of paradigm and, and paradox and, and how par paradox will shift our normal is from uh, scripture. I wanna go to a story that involves Jesus and Peter. Of course, a lot of the stories in the Gospels involve Jesus and Peter because uh, he's outspoken, thankfully. He teaches us a lot that way. Um, and in this story, Jesus is, is, is pretty far into his ministry. Things are going really well. There, there's been, he's been healing people. Pe people are being raised from the dead. There are crowds following them. Things are really starting to click and move along in the ministry. It looks like things are going going to be really successful. The disciples are really excited. And then Jesus starts telling his disciples, look, we're going to Jerusalem and I'm going to Jerusalem to die. And the disciples are like, what? Things are going really, really well. And now you're saying you're going, you're going to go to Jerusalem and die? So let's look at the story. It's in Matthew, again, Matthew 16, uh, starting in verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Imagine rebuking our Lord. This is how strongly Peter feels about this because Peter's paradigm is just like our paradigm, which is, you know what? Life is about living and living as long as you possibly can. Get the most you can for as long as you can out of this life on this earth. That's the paradigm, the normal that Peter is in. But Jesus is in a very different paradigm, a very different normal for him. And Jesus responds. He, so Peter rebukes him saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But Jesus responds by saying, but he, but he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. 
That's a very strong rebuke back to, to Peter because Peter is just not seeing it right. He doesn't understand the paradigm that Jesus is in. Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me for you are not seeing your, you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man, right? So that right there, Jesus is saying very clearly, look, Peter, your normal is wrong. You're setting your mind on the things of man, not on the things of God. Jesus continues in, in this verse, he says in verse 24, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. That is classic paradoxical language. If you want to have life, you lose it. But if you want to keep your life, you'll, if, if you want to have life, you'll lose it and you'll gain it. But if you try to hold on to it and grasp it and hold it for yourself, you'll actually lose it. That's paradoxical. So, um, so hopefully that helps you understand the, the, those terms and how, what they look like in practice. Kind of another, one more look at, what, at that. It begins in, in the beginning of um, the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to spend the rest of this, of this message talking about the Sermon on the Mount, and we're going to look at specifically at the heart of this message. Um, it's, it's a pretty epic sermon, and it would take six hours to actually preach this sermon, probably more, maybe a six-month series. But I'm going to just kind of focus in on a central core aspect uh, of this message. Uh, but I want to start off with the very beginning of the, the Sermon on the Mount. And again, it's, it's just extremely paradoxical. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed again, meaning happy, full, content, deeply filled with joy. Okay, so happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Right? That is a complete shift from how we view things in the world. Are we, what, do you hear someone say, hey, you're so happy because you're poor? The next one says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Do you ever hear someone say, hey, how happy are you that you're sad? Right? That, that's a contradiction. It doesn't make any sense. But Jesus explains that the the paradox by saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We are blessed if we recognize that we are poor in spirit, that we have nothing spiritually, that we are depleted, we are bankrupt spiritually. If we recognize that and we seek the Lord, we turn the Lord for our spirituality, he says, you're happy because you are inheriting the kingdom of God. That's a great inheritance. That's a great thing to be happy about. But in this world and in this life, in our fallen state, we are poor. We are destitute spiritually. But as we turn to him, he fills us spiritually. In this world, we mourn. There are all kinds of things that are going on in the world. We're in the middle of a global pandemic. I'm sure many of you have been concerned or anxious or stressed about the potential health impacts of the virus, the economic impacts of the virus. We hear every, every day on the news the latest statistics on how many have the COVID virus. We're beginning to hear of closer friends and family that are catching the virus. Um, that can be a scary, stressful time. 
and a mournful time. People are, are out of work, they've lost their jobs, some have been in the hospital. And Jesus says, but happy are you when you mourn. Why? Because uh, you shall be comforted. Because Jesus will comfort us. Even in the morning, even in the tough parts of this world, we have the comfort of Jesus. And of course, we have ultimately the comfort of our salvation, our, our ultimate redemption and eternity in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus continues with a whole number of, the, of these. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Again, total par paradox. When, when do you hear someone say, hey, you know, just, just let it be. Let it, let it, don't try to take it all, but be generous and, and share your space on the earth. Jesus says, you know, if you're meek in that way, you'll ensure, inherit the, all, the whole earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Do you hunger and thirst for righteousness? Be happy if you do, because Jesus will satisfy you. This is the paradox of Christianity. So I want to go right to the heart of this message, and, and uh, that will pick up in Matthew 6.19. And Jesus says in 19, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. So Jesus is saying, look, you know what? Do not lay up, do not store up. The key word there is storing up. Don't gather extra of the earth's treasure. What is the earth's treasure? It's all the stuff of life. Food, water, clothing, cars, houses, all the things that God knows we need. But, he, but Jesus is saying, look, don't store up that. Don't make it the goal, the central point, that the, the primary desire of your heart to store up the treasures of this earth. But rather... Make it your goal to store up treasures in heaven. When we're, when we're all about storing up the treasures on this earth, it becomes a very stressful proposition, right? Because Jesus says it very clearly. Look, all the stuff of this earth decays. It rusts, it decays. And, and even if it doesn't decay, let's say you've got a collection of diamonds, someone eventually is going to try to steal it from you, right? So it's temporary. Or, ultimately, you're going to pass away from this earth. You can't take it with you, right? So all, this thing, all these things that we try to store up on this earth, we stress trying to gather them. And then once we have them, we stress about trying to keep them. And Jesus says, it's, it's not worth it. It doesn't have the value. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. If we make the central point of our life, the, the heart's desire of our life about storing up treasure in heaven, it's such a blessing because it can never decay. We can never lose it. No one will ever steal it away from us. In fact, the treasures of heaven are exponential. They expand. As I gain in heaven, you gain in heaven. They become complementary. My treasure becomes a blessing and a joy to your treasure, right? 
It's just the opposite. It's a complete paradigm shift from the world, which is dog-eat-dog. I got to get mine. If, if, if I don't get mine and protect it and maybe get somebody else's a little extra, then I'm going to lose it. Life in Christ is completely opposite from that, and that's what Jesus is pointing out. He continues in verse 21, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Right? So whatever it is you're really after, whatever you're aiming for, that is where you're going to be. Whatever, you're, whatever you love, whatever you think about, whatever you invest yourself in, whatever you sacrifice for, that's where your heart is. Okay? So the more you lay up treasures in heaven, the more your heart is in heaven, is about heaven, is all about the kingdom of God. The more you are storing up treasures on earth, the more your mind is distracted by the, the concerns and worries and anxieties and stresses of this life. Right? So which is, which is it? How do you want to spend your life? What is your life worth? Is your wor life worth all those things that are storing up in your garage, taking, filling up your garage so you can't park at it? I think your life is worth more than that. Jesus continues in verse 22. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? So again, if, you're, if that's where your focus is, if you're focused on the things of this world, the treasures of this world, it has a way of distorting and blinding you to the treasures of heaven, to the glories of heaven, to the joy and the peace and the fragrance and the power of heaven. Right? I, I, an example is Polaroid sunglasses. Polaroid sunglasses have tiny little microscopic horizontal lines etched into them. And the reason for that is when sun strikes a surface, it gets polarized. The poles of the light waves orientate to whatever it's striking. So if the sun strikes a horizontal surface and bounce up and hits your eyes, those horizontal lines block it so you don't see it. And that's what cuts the glare because most glare comes from horizontal surfaces like the hood of your car, the road, the lake, the water, whatever. So that's how Polaroid lenses work. Well, in the same way as we, as we set our heart on the world it has a way of polarizing our inner spiritual life to the point where we're not seeing clearly the treasures and glory of heaven, the joy and beauty of heaven, and vice versa, by the way. As we lay up treasure in heaven, then um, we are less concerned, less anxious about, less stressed out about the treasures of this world. Jesus continues, verse 24, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So what Jesus is saying here is actually even more than being polarized by having our heart set on one item or the other, it actually kind of tears us apart and we wind up even more stressed than we would have been otherwise. Jesus is saying you can't have it both ways. I think... The most stressed out, miserable person there is, is a Christian, a believer, who is still 
focusing most of his energy, most of her heart, most of her focus on the treasures of the world while tr at the same time trying to serve the kingdom of God. That is a very stressful place to live, right? But it's Jesus saying, look, focus on the treasures of heaven, focus on my kingdom, I will take care of the rest, and you're gonna have so much more peace. And again, this is a process, right? This paradigm shift, this new normal is, takes time. In fact, Jesus is gonna spend our entire life on this earth working us through this paradigm shift so that we more and more and more embrace and go after the treasures of heaven and less and less and less worry about the treasures of this world. So what are these treasures? What are, what are the, the, these heavenly treasures? How, how, what do they look like? Um, and how do we quote, quote unquote lay up these treasures in heaven? The, the most obvious treasure of heaven is life, is eternal life. Jesus says, I came that you have life and life abundantly. And that meant a more richer, fuller, deeper life now, but it also meant an eternal life, a life that's just filled with glory for all of eternity. That is a great treasure. I think, really, we probably don't quite fully understand yet just how amazing it will be to have an infinite amount of time in front of us to walk in and experience the Lord and love one another and experience the new kingdom in. That is a great treasure. And there are many, many other treasures, and there are many ways to lay up these treasures. And in fact, this entire Sermon on the Mount that Jesus is giving, he's outlining and giving his disciples and the people who are listening to his sermon all the ways to lay up treasure in heaven. And of course, as I said, this, this sermon is, is a really amazing sermon, and I really encourage you to read chapters 5 through 7 on your own and, and hear the words of Jesus all the way through. But for purposes of our message, I'm going to give a five-minute summary of the Sermon on the Mount, which in no way does it any justice at all, but it will give you a taste, a little bit of a understanding of what it means to lay up treasure in heaven. So here we go. This is the Sermon on the Mount in five minutes. Be happy in the kingdom while sad in the world. Be salt and light. Be fulfilled in Jesus. Don't be a hater. Be reconciled. Honor your spouse. A simple yes or no will do. No revenge. Love your enemies. Give secretly. Pray secretly and simply. Forgive and be forgiven. Fast secretly. Treasure up heaven, which is what we're talking about this morning. Judge not, be not judged. Guard your holiness. Ask. Novel concept, right? Ask. So often we're stressed out, we're anxious because we're just not asking the Lord. Jesus says, ask. We, have, we serve a good father who loves us and he won't give us a stone when we ask for bread. Treat others how you want to be treated. Yes, it's Jesus who actually pronounced the golden rule. Treat others how you want to be treated. Seek the way of paradox. Look out for false teachers. Know Jesus. Faith works. Jesus is the man. In fact, he is the God-man. And none of this is possible apart from Jesus, right? It is Jesus who redeems us, makes us into a new creation, and empowers us to love our enemy. How hard is that? It is impossible, humanly speaking, from the 
upside down, broken, normal, fallen world paradigm, it is impossible to love your enemy. But in Christ, in laying up treasure in heaven, we can love our enemy. And as we love our enemy, that is laying up treasure in heaven. And the, and the laying up the of the treasure, as well as the treasure itself, are very closely connected. Because as we love our enemy, we are laying up treasure in heaven. And that actually becomes treasure in heaven. Think about a place where your worst enemy loves you many, many times better than your best friend on this earth. What would that place be like? What kind of fellowship and, and joy and blessing there would be in a place like that? That's the treasure of heaven. What, what about a place where everyone treated each other the way they, they are treated by God, the way they are valued by God? What kind of place would that be? Would that not be a treasure itself? So all these ways that we are laying up treasure is also a precursor to the treasure itself, to our experience of heaven. Don't be a hater. Be reconciled. We, we will be fully reconciled in heaven. There will never be any breakdown or separation in heaven. Honor your, honor your spouse. We will continually and forever honor one another. We, there will be no revenge in heaven. There will be no need for revenge in heaven. So as we don't seek revenge on this earth, we are laying up the treasure of no, revi re no revenge in heaven. Right? So you see that relationship there? And part of the reason why I share this list and I and I, I know I just blew right through it. I don't, I don't expect anybody to remember it. But I share this list to point out the fact that laying up treasure in heaven is not some mental exercise or philosophy or abstract, um, uh, obscure sort of state of mind of laying up treasure. But it's very much rubber meets the road in the trenches, loving your neighbor as yourself, Right? Loving your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and loving your neighbor as yourself, that's how you lay up treasure. And in fact, in its fulfillment, in eternity, in the new heavens, new earth, all of that will be consummated forever and will be absolutely secure where it could never decay, never rust, and never be taken away from us. Right? So that's what it means to lay up our treasure in heaven and it also gives us a little hint, a little preview of what that treasure will be like. Jesus continues in verse 25. He says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? So just like those little, little kids that were adopted, they were so anxious about their next meal because they had experience, had the experience of not, not ha of not having a meal, having to skip multiple meals, and that was their normal, that was their paradigm. And Jesus is saying, "Look, you don't need to worry about that. My refrigerator is full. I will take care of you. Isn't your life so much more valuable than worrying about food and drink and clothing?" And the answer, of course, is yes. Your life is much, much more valuable. Jesus illustrates this by saying in verse 26, 
Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value? Are you not of more value than they? Of course, we are. We are the crown of his creation. Your life is so much more valuable than the things that you are worrying about, right? I've heard some random statistic that most of what we worry about never comes to pass. And Jesus is saying, stop worrying about those things. Stop worrying about even the things that you need. I've got you covered. I've got your back. Rather, focus in on the kingdom of God. Focus in on laying up treasures in heaven. And I'll take care of all the world stuff. Don't worry about that. He continues in 28. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. So it's, it's really interesting. Jesus, not only is he saying, hey, I'm going to take care of you. I know you need clothing. Uh, I'll take care of the clothing. But he, go, he takes it even further. He says, look, look at the lilies of the field. How majestic they are. How beautiful that is. How well I clothe them. And Solomon, in all of his glory, I mean, one of the richest men who ever lived, one of the wisest men, one of the great kingdoms of, of the ancient Near East, he, in all of his glory, is not arrayed as the flowers in the field are. So if I can do that with something that um, is here today, gone tomorrow, how much more am I going to take care of you? That's what he says in um, 30. But if God so clothes, clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus will take care of your worldly needs? If you don't, you're going to be out there trying to store up treasure in this earth, earthly treasures, and you're going to be stressed out and anxious. But as we shift, as we turn to faith in Christ, as we begin to experience and know and realize that his refrigerator is full, that his storehouse is full, that he will provide what we need, we can begin to let go of that and focus again on storing up treasures in heaven, loving one another, treating people the way we want to be treated, forgiving our brother and sister who have wronged us, right? All of that lays up treasure in heaven. And because we know Christ has our back, because we know he's taking care of us, that frees us up to be forgiving, to not hold the grudge. When someone wrongs you, to not hold it over their head because you know what? You're taken care of in Christ. You don't need to take it out in revenge. 31, therefore do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them all. He knows it. He knows what we need. We fret and worry about what we need when the Father already knows what we need and has promised to take care of it. 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Jesus is saying, here's the paradigm shift. Here's the new normal. Focus on the kingdom of God. Focus on the treasures of heaven. Make that your aim. Store up treasures in heaven and I'll take care of the rest. I'll take care of your life on this world. What a great blessing that is. And as we grow and really take that in and begin to practice 
this shift in our normal, I think we'll discover that there's less and less stress and fear, but even much more important that, than that, we'll find the value of our lives. We'll find the purpose of what God has put us on this planet for. It'll go so far beyond, it goes so far beyond, so much richer, so much more deeper than what kind of car you're gonna drive or what kind of vehicle you're gonna have a year from now. Right, it's, it's about the love and glory of the kingdom of God that is so much richer and so much more valuable. Jesus kind of wraps up this thought, we'll wrap up the, the, this message in verse 34. He gives us some, some really practical um, guidance in terms of dealing with the stresses of this world. He says, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for, itse for itself. So sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So there are two kinds of stress. There's generally a good stress kind of stress and generally a bad kind of stress. The good stress is the immediate right now today concern that you need to address and deal with. So a good kind of stress is um, all of a sudden there might be smoke bellowing out of the door in the back of the sanctuary right here and it, it becomes really obvious and clear that there's a fire right there and we need to do something about it. That's good stress. It's right now, it's present, I, we can do something about it, we can respond to it, and we need the extra boost of adrenaline and energy to deal with it. That's good stress. The bad kind of stress is to think about a month from now, Kai, what would happen if a, star, if a fire started in this chapel? Ooh, I'd be really worried about that. That's bad stress. It's, it's not here today. It's not necessarily part of the reality. There's nothing we can do about it. And yet, when we stress, probably more of our stress is spent on things that are tomorrow or next week or a month from now. And that's outside of our direct control. James says uh, in his letter, he says, you know what? Don't say that this year we're gonna go into this city and we're gonna create this kind of business and make this kind of profit. But rather say, if the Lord is willing, we'll go into this city and we'll do this kind of business. So that caveat is a real critical caveat. We can't control tomorrow. We can only take action and respond to what's going on today. Doesn't mean we don't plan for tomorrow. Jesus is not saying, hey, don't plan for tomorrow. He's not saying, hey, make sure that your building is up to, to snuff, that you've, you've obeyed all the fire codes, that there's a fire extinguisher somewhere in, in, the, in the building, do all the preventive measures. He's not saying don't plan. What he is saying is don't be anxious about it. Don't stress about it. Don't be preoccupied in a stressed, worried way about something that might happen a month from now or something that might happen a week from now. He's saying, look, today, if there's something going on that you need to address, address it. If there's something that stresses you today, address it. But don't worry about tomorrow. And really make your focus, put your energy, put the target on the kingdom of God, laying up treasures in heaven. I really, uh, I'm just really thankful for this church, for our congregation, and for the way that we have come together in Christ as a family, the way that we have been practicing the Sermon on the Mount, the way that we have treated each other the way we would like to be treated, the way that we have 
attempted to reconcile any time there was a division or breakdown, that we would reconcile that, that we wouldn't hold it over on each other, that we, we would seek to always restore re relationship, that we, give our, we, we do our giving privately between us and the Lord, not for the applause of man, but, but as a means and a way for us to express our faith and confidence in the Lord that says, hey Lord, you've given me this big meal, I'm just gonna give a little part of it back to your church as an act of faith and trust to, to t train my heart, teach my heart how not to be anxious and trust in you instead, to seek your kingdom instead. I'm so thankful for that. I, I really wanna challenge all of us to consider this world that is in a whole different paradigm that is hurting, is stressed out, is maxed out, that we reach out to them with this gospel, with this great truth that, you know what? There's another world and it's totally different and it's filled with joy and light and blessing. And we wanna invite you in to this family of God that God has adopted each one of us into and has made us brothers and sisters. I pray, I pray is our prayer that as we seek to lay up treasure in heaven as we seek the kingdom of God, that we are generous with it and that we invite, share and invite the people around us into this kingdom, this kingdom of the Lord. With that, let's pray. So Lord, I um, thank you so much, God, for your word. I thank you that you've called us to such a great salvation that you've called us to be members of your kingdom, God, not, not just lowly little participants, but, but priests, a holy nation, priests of your kingdom. Lord Jesus, help us to step out of our fear. God, help us to step away from, from our worries and our concerns about earthly treasure and instead lay up the heavenly treasure by loving you God by serving you with all that we have by loving our neighbor as ourself Lord I thank you so much that you came into this world with a completely different agenda that you have rescued us from the futility of this life God and call us into such a great kingdom filled with joy and love and blessing and wealth and depth. Lord, the, the psalmist says, in your right hand are pleasures forevermore. God, help us to seek those pleasures, God, even as we love one another in this world, even as we seek you in prayer privately in this world, Lord. God, we thank you for your great love. In your son's name, amen. Thanks for joining us in today's study. If you'd like to know more about us or where you can attend one of our services, you can find information online at www.ren.church. That's R-E-N.church. Thanks for listening.